Let's pray. God, you've given us your word to strengthen us, to encourage us, to allow us to know you and your character, but also to show us how it is that you would have us to live as followers of your son. Paul today doesn't take it easy on us, and his letter to the church in Philippi has got some strong words to it. So God, I just pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear what it is that you have, who it is that you would have us to be, that uh, as we do the difficult task of talking about the truth of your word and also the truth of our world that we live in that stands against it so often. God, I just pray that you would use this time, that uh, you would speak to us and help help us to hear and to know what it is that you would have us to hear and to know. In Jesus' name, amen. So Philippians is this letter that Paul has written from prison. He's writing it to a pretty small church in this area, kind of on the outskirts of what we would consider to be Europe. It's a Roman colony. The people that live there are very proud of their Roman heritage and identity, their their upbringing, their culture, their traditions, their language, and their religions. And so this this group of people that he's writing to, this church in Philippi, is really a pretty small group of people set amongst all these others. And one of the real things that Paul wants them to understand is the importance of how they live their life, the example they set for the gospel of Jesus to the world around them that doesn't believe. And I think the church has done a pretty good job in the past of talking about what the Bible says, but we haven't always done such a good job of talking about what the world puts up against what the Bible presents to us. And so Paul today gives us these these few verses, 17 to 21, and it's easy to skim over them, but it's a little bit more difficult. It's a little more challenging to actually dive into them. So I want to read this too. If you've got your Bibles, Philippians 3, starting in verse 17. Brothers, and we talked a couple weeks ago about how that meant the gathered audience, brothers and sisters. The Bible uses the word brothers, but it's to everyone in the church. Join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Be Timothy and Epaphroditus and uh, others who have traveled with Paul. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul's acknowledging that the world that surrounds the church in Philippi walks as enemies of Jesus. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things To himself. That sounds simple enough. The fact of the matter is, Paul is really starting to step on some toes in a pretty serious way here. He's calling out the people around the church that are standing in opposition to the gospel. He's calling out these people who are enemies, he says, of the cross. He's also saying, follow me as an example. Imitate me, he says. That, that's a bold statement. There's not very many people in Scripture or in life who make a statement like that. When you consider the bar of being like Jesus, being so high, Paul says, imitate me. He's not saying, follow me. He's saying, imitate me. Let me and the others be an example. And that's something that we need to pay attention to because as Christians, we should be thinking about the example that we set 
to the world, whether it be younger Christians or the non-believing world around us. And let's be honest, we don't always do so well with that. We don't always do so well living life as saints. We are pretty good at living life as sinners. And what Paul is saying is, let me be an example to you. But the message in that is because you need to be an example for others. So going back to verse 17, let's break it down verse by verse. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. What is your focus? What are you paying attention to? Who are you trying to be like? When we're younger, we all have people that we want to be when we grow up. Paul is kind of tying back to that and saying, who are you keeping an eye on? Who is your focus on? And are you trying to be like them? And so use us as an example. Don't follow us. Paul would say, follow Jesus Christ and him crucified. No question. Don't follow us, but let us be an example. Imitate me, Paul says. And what does he mean? In, in my gratitude, in my servanthood, in my joy in all things, in, in my attitude toward the world around me. Imitate me, but follow Jesus. You can look at me as an example, Paul says, but make sure it's Jesus, the one who you're following. The other thing that Paul has got such a good grip on, for all the reasons he wouldn't have to, Paul understands humility. And Paul lives in godly humility. Finally, Paul finds joy in everything. We've talked about that. If you want a good example of who you want to model the Christian life after, model your life after Paul, who even after he's been beaten and left for dead and had rocks thrown at him and thrown in prison, he still finds joy in everything he does because he gets to point people to Jesus. If you want an example, follow Paul. So the word example here, the Greek word, we're going to spend a moment on that. The Greek word is typon. We get the word type from it. Example, sort, model, that kind of thing, right? Type. What kind of a, what type of a thing? What pattern of a thing is it? That's the word Paul is talking about, and the pattern is extremely important. And so, the example and what the Greeks would have understood when he wrote this is this. If you had a heavy hammer, a blacksmith hammer or something, and you wanted to pound a coin, you wanted to, to make a print on a coin or some other piece of metal, you might have that hammer where it has that imprint on the face of the hammer. And you went to the metal and you pounded it for all your worth. You pulled the hammer off. And what's left? What's left is a type, an imprint, a pattern is left behind on the middle. It isn't the original, it's an imprint of the original. And what Paul is trying to get across is that all of our lives should leave the imprint of Jesus on the people around us. The idea of creating a lasting impression. We don't want people to follow us, but we want to present Jesus in a way that Jesus makes a lasting impression. That's what Paul is talking about as an example. The problem is, is in our world, people want to make a lasting impression of not following Jesus. And then they want to celebrate that and make that the thing that everybody comes alongside and follows. And Paul says, nope, you want to make a lasting impression. So I'm trying to think of an example. And uh, this dates me a little bit, but this guy's trying to, to have a comeback. There was a boxer who was just a beastly, ferocious man when he was in the ring named Mike Tyson. Well, Mike's about my age now and a lot better shape than I am, and he can hit people a whole lot harder than I ever could. And apparently he's trying to make a comeback. But in his heyday, he, he never had his punch um, weighed on a scale or, or they never measured it. But it's estimated that his punch hit with somehow the force of between 1,000 and 1,500 pounds on the square inch. 
That would be like having a grand piano drop from a high-rise building and landing on you. That's what it would feel like to get punched by Mike Tyson. A, a lion bites with about 650 pounds of force. A hippopotamus that kills more animals than any other animal in Africa bites with about a 1,200 pound per square inch force. That's what it was like getting hit by Mike Tyson. There are men alive today who, after they woke up after getting hit by Mike Tyson, will never forget the imprint that that punch left on them. The feel of getting hit by Mike Tyson is going to forever be in their memory. And what Paul is saying is, as a Christian, you want to go out into the world and the example that you want to leave, leave such a lasting impression that people never forget Jesus after you have been there talking about Jesus. That's the kind of power that Paul is talking about that we should use, that we should leave a lasting impression of Jesus. Unfortunately, so many people in the Christian church get this idea of celebrity and we take it in a completely different direction. And you can fill in the blank with whoever you want because it's local, small church people. It isn't even always pastors. It can be Bible study leaders or it can be big church people. I'm going to use an example of someone a little later on who has set themselves out as a huge example to the world. I'm not sure the very best one. Sometimes people want to make a statement about themselves about who they are or what they're capable of, and they encourage people to follow them, which Paul is not doing. We call that a cult. When you follow a person or a personality or a leader, when you follow someone into or out of a church, are you following Jesus or are you following them? And so one of the things that Paul is saying is that the example that we leave behind, the imprint that we leave behind by our dedication to Jesus should always leave people with a lasting impression of the good of who Jesus is, not a lasting impression of who we are. Everyone likes to talk about ourselves. But you know what? When you're done with conversation with someone, do they know more about Jesus or do they know more about you? That's the kind of thing Paul is talking about here. He goes on in verse 18, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. It gives us an opportunity to ask the question, who then are we imitating? Who is the example that we're trying to follow, and what example is it that we're setting? Are we trying to follow examples of what it is to live as a Christian and a disciple of Jesus like Paul? Or are we starstruck following the examples of other people and following the direction that they would take us who may be walking as enemies of the cross of Christ? In Jesus' day, he was, he was profaned. He was, he was abused. He was spoken about in ways that you and I just simply can't imagine all the way to the point of being put to death for something he didn't do. The idea of being an enemy of the cross of Christ is no small thing. People also are going to hate you and I if the imprint that we leave on the world is a strong enough imprint of Jesus because they don't know what to do with Jesus. Someone who walks as an enemy of the cross of Christ can't stand that, that bar that Jesus sets about who it is that he died so that we could become. That's just a model that they don't want to have to reach. They would rather lower the bar and just be what they want to be. And so people all over the world walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They choose to be enemies because what the cross of Christ represents. Because it represents all of those things that Paul is trying to be an example of. Faithfulness and humility 
and servanthood and the things that Jesus lived and showed us in his life. Now, <laughs> I tried really hard to find a different example for this, and I couldn't do it. Uh, I, I, I really did. Because I remember hearing years ago about this course that was out there that you could take online, and it was called A Course in Miracles. And the Course in Miracles was, was very popular for a while. Uh, there was a lady named Oprah who promoted it. And it was her thing. And, and she didn't teach it, but she promoted it and she followed it along uh, with her show and with her media. And, and the thing that I remember about Course in Miracles was one of the statements that it made, a couple of them. Because Oprah has made the statement that there is no sin, right? There, there's no sin. It's just you, you do whatever you do. And maybe it's a mistake or maybe it was a, a misjudgment, but it's all good because it all works in your favor. And in A Course in Miracles... She didn't make this statement, but in this course that she promoted, this is one of the foundational statements. Now, you ready for this? This is what they present as foundational truth. Do not make the pathetic error of clinging to the old rugged cross. The only message of the crucifixion is that you can overcome the cross. That's the example that more people in the world followed follow than, than just about any other. In terms of the largest church in the world, she pastors it. More people follow her than any other church anywhere else in the world. And she knows it. And the example that she sets is a statement to the world. And the statement is, do not make the pathetic error of clinging to the old rugged cross. The only message of the crucifixion is that you can overcome the cross. What I find so interesting about people, and Oprah considers herself a Christian, what I find so interesting about people who want to steer us away from the good news of Jesus is they always use Christian terms. You get that? The cross of Christ, the crucifixion, those are things that Christians understand. But you know what? You change the message a little bit like the serpent did in the garden and suddenly you're following the wrong person down the wrong road to the wrong eternity. Don't make the pathetic error of clinging to the old rugged cross. Those are completely empty references outside the atoning death for the for the uh, payment of human sin. Outside of that as an understanding, those words don't mean anything. It is a direct attack on the cross of Christ. Outside, those, those words mean nothing else if you take it out of any other context. Like many other enemies of the cross, Oprah claims to be a Christian, and she uses Christian words because it draws people who don't know better in. And when your faith isn't strong enough to withstand the mistruth, you, we begin to understand it as truth when it's not. And, and so this next verse is so important because what, what's really going on here is what you choose to believe and who you choose to follow and the example that you choose to, to imitate sets the course for where it is that you spend your eternity. And so a lot of people follow her. They believe her. When she names a book, it becomes a bestseller. The problem is, is that they're going to follow her to an eternity where God is not present. And, and so who are you following? What is your example? And where is your eternity leading to you? I am not going to follow and put my hands in eternity with her because I don't believe that what she has said so far is she's going to be where you and I want to go because of the death of Jesus. Verse 19 their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. 
Uh, the understanding in the Greek world was the belly was the was the place where all of our human desires come from, whether they're good, bad or otherwise. They talk about that being the belly. The heart's a different thing. The mind is something else. The belly is where all of the earthly cravings and desires come from. And, and so it, it perfectly helps us understand this idea that if there's no sin, then why do we have to worry about it? I'm perfectly fine just the way I am. I'm a pretty good person. I'm, I'm a lot better than he or she is. And, and besides, I'm doing good enough. Who's going to you know, leave me alone? I'm doing better than you are. That's kind of the way that, that people of the world like to think about it. The only problem is that, that, that it's self-centered, not Jesus-centered thinking. And what it does is it immediately makes us an enemy of the cross. And it talks about our destruction well, our destruction comes when we put our hope in the wrong things and the wrong people. And as Christians, we need to put our hope in Jesus. When he says their God is their belly, what he's saying is the pleasures that they seek for their body, the pleasures that they seek here on earth, cravings and desires, that's what rules them. And then he says their glory is their shame. That's a pretty huge statement. This is where Paul really, really gets to it. We have to be careful that our glory is not our shame. Our glory had better be in living for and serving God. Romans one twenty five says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. We are the creature. And outside the good news of Jesus and outside recognizing our need for a savior, it's very easy to serve us. That's what he's talking about the belly. When our desires come from our belly and we serve ourselves, then we're no longer worshiping the creator. We're worshiping the creature. We're worshiping us and what it is that we want and how we want the world to be. And that's why these things like this class are so dangerous, because people who want to be spiritual can pursue it and be completely misled. There was a thing that happened in 2015, and when I think of uh, their glory is their shame, I can't think of any better example. This is not to pass judgment on people. This is a statement and a commentary on a movement, okay? Please understand that clearly. Oprah was behind this one as well. 2015, this thing got launched, and there was a movement that became very popular among Hollywood types and celebrities and, and people that had an audience. Now with, with social media, we call them about the influencers, it became very popular with the influencers, and the movement was called Shout Your Abortion. It's still going on. There's a Facebook page. There's a website. There's all kinds of stuff behind it. It's still happening. It's where you openly celebrate and, and you claim how it is that having an abortion liberated you and led you to the opportunity to live your best life without the encumbrance of an unwanted child. And so people did it all over the place, and they put statements on the Internet, and it was on TV, and it was, it was all over. And I, I suppose if there's no sin, then there's no murder without consequence either, and that would be the agenda that's driving all of this. But Paul says their glory is their shame. Just because enough people agree with you doesn't make you right. Just because you're a part of a crowd that stands against the gospel doesn't mean the gospel's wrong. Watch out who you are following as an example. It could be you that's wrong. It could be me that's wrong. It's so important that we hear and understand what's going on in the world and call it what it is. See, people brag and boast about stuff all the time that we shouldn't be bragging and boasting about. Paul talks so much about how devastating that is for the life of a Christian believer, because when we brag and we boast, we put ourselves in the place of Jesus. So what do we brag and boast about? Sometimes little stuff could be about 
about uh, alcohol abuse or partying or drug use or, hey, do you do you missed out Friday night? Everybody got together and here's all the stuff we did. And and boy, I don't know. That seems to be uh, bringing glory to our shame. Unless we've got enough people that agree with us. I've heard people boast about cheating on their taxes and lying to the government. Uh, people brag about influence that they don't actually have or conquests that they've made or ways that they have uh, attained success that they really haven't earned. We brag and, and we proclaim all that stuff and all of that should be to our shame because all of it is against the gospel of Jesus. People glory in our shame all the time. But the Bible also says, here's what's going to happen if left unchecked and you do that without stopping. Romans 5, starting in 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And Paul is talking about what happened back then, but it continues to happen today. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. What we see happening in our country today is God giving people over the desires of their bellies. What we see happening in our country today, and if we in the Christian church don't call it for what it is and invite people back to Jesus, it's only going to get worse because God says that he gives them over to their desires. Who are you following? What is your example? What crowd do you really want to be a part of? That's just the beginning of what happens when our minds aren't set on Jesus, though. See, when we, when we focus on ourselves as most important, Suddenly, every decision we make may be to our immediate benefit, but it's probably to the harm and the hurt of the people around us. It's why we've used this phrase. We've picked it up as we've talked about Paul Joy, looking to Jesus and then others and yourself. And when you begin to do that, you start seeing the world through a very, very different set of eyes. You start making different choices because you realize that we don't really belong here. This world isn't our forever home. This world is our for now home. And the single greatest opportunity that we have during this lifetime is to accept the free gift of salvation in Jesus and to share that good news with others. That's the single most important things that we can be doing. We don't belong here because this isn't our home forever. But verse 20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. To be a citizen means you have some rights and some responsibilities. It's like we talked about with the new members. To be a citizen means the government is going to provide you with protection. They're going to provide you with some services. They're going to provide you with an identity, and they're going to claim you as one of their own. And in return, there are some responsibilities that we have to that government. Unfortunately, in America, we're seeing the whole notion of citizenship and that relationship between people and government starting to change like it never has before. But here's what you need to know. God has not changed his understanding or meaning of the word citizenship. And when he says our citizenship is in heaven, what he means is that is our forever home. As Christians, as people who have put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus and accepted his free gift of salvation, you are no longer a sinner. God doesn't see you as a sinner. God sees you as a saint through the eyes of Jesus and his sacrifice for you. Because of that, your citizenship is in heaven and it will never change. Ephesians 2.19 says, 
So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Suddenly you belong to a different crowd if you choose to live with them, if you choose to surround yourself with them, or you can continue to surround yourself with the people of the world. There's a movement in America today, and it's been decades coming, but it's the idea that you can have expectations as a citizen of the United States without having any real interest in living or speaking or acting or believing in what it is to become an American in any traditional sense. You can demand rights, you can demand services, you can demand special treatment, but don't expect anything to be given to the government from you. In fact, what has become popular of late is people who are celebrating their open hostility to America and expecting that to be protected. And in America, because of free speech, we do that. But the traditional idea of citizenship here in the United States is changing and is changing quickly. But what you need to know is that God's understanding of citizenship has not and will not change. Citizenship is an agreement between the government and an individual. And in heaven, being a Christian is a privilege. It's a free gift. It's an opportunity to see the world and to live differently. But it's an opportunity that we have to accept. And then it's something that we have to start doing. And we do it by finding examples of people who we want to follow and to be like. And that's what Paul is saying. Use me as an example. And so as a Christian... If you know that your eternity is going to be spent in heaven because you've accepted the free gift of salvation in Jesus, but your friends, maybe your kids, your family, your co-workers, if the people around you don't know there's anything different about you, if your friends don't know that your citizenship is in heaven and because of it your life here on earth has changed, you might take a look at the example that you're following. You might take a look at who it is that you're trying to live like. See, we're called to live in the world, but to not be of the world, which means we're called to clearly live differently than the people of the world. That's what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. It's to live a life that every day we seek to be more and more like him and less and less like ourselves and the desires of our bellies. Why? Because in verse 20... Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to, be sub, even to subject all things to himself. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you've accepted the free gift of salvation, maybe you're not even living your life as a Christian the way that you know the Bible calls you to, but you've accepted that gift and you know that heaven is your home for all eternity, then, then here's what you need to understand. You can live the life that Paul calls us to live. You can live the life that Jesus died and God created for us to live. And the reason we know that is because the very same power that raised Jesus from the grave is alive in you right now. The very same power that raised Jesus from the grave is alive at work in you right now. God's Holy Spirit is alive at work in you and gives you the power and the ability to do all the things that God has called us to do. The question is, what will you choose? Who will be your example? What is it that you're going to try to live like? Who are you going to try to live like? First Peter and First uh, Peter one four says, "Here's what we've got to look forward to in heaven: is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven." If that's what we know, we have waiting for us. 
How does it change the life that we live here on earth? What are you living for? Who are you living for? How are you living? And all of that really goes back to the the big question. Where is your eternal home? Right now, do you know beyond a shadow of any doubt that no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter what sins you have committed, you know that your eternal home is in heaven with Jesus? Have you accepted the free gift of salvation and you know that now God sees you as a saint, not as a sinner, and you know that's where you're headed? Or is your citizenship still in question? And if it's still in question, it means currently your citizenship is being held in hell. Because God gives us this one lifetime to make that decision. He gives us this one lifetime to make that choice. And it's as simple as accepting the free gift that Jesus offers in his death and resurrection. See, Jesus gave his life so that your eternity could be with him. And that eternal life begins here and now and continues on forever. So do you know where you're going? And do you live like you're a citizen of that place? Let's pray. God, these words of Paul are tough. It's easy to read over them and just not really not really pay much attention to them. But if we're going to look at them for what they are, they're difficult because we live in a world that doesn't celebrate you. We live in a world that wants to make fun of us for believing in you. We live in a world that, that does exactly what, what the serpent did in the garden. That's to twist your words into what we want to hear. That's what makes it so important, God, that we hear and we know what you really say to us, that we're clear about what your word really tells us about who it is that you tell us that we are. And God, the the choices aren't hard. The choices are easy because the gift is free. It's living out the choices. It's living the life that gets difficult. And without you, we have no hope in doing that. God, thank you for Paul, for his letters. Thank you for Jesus and that he did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And thank you for your Holy Spirit. Because without him, we would never be able to come to the place where we know that we're sinners and that we need to give our life to you, that we would never come to the place where we can be people of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of weeks ago, somebody asked me, why do you keep being a pastor? It's got to be the hardest time in the world to be a pastor. And the answer that fell out of my mouth really surprised me. The answer that I said is, because I believe in hell. I was a little shocked when I said that. But I also know that there's heaven. And I know that there's an awful lot of the people in our world who don't understand the difference and understand the choice. And what we're here for as a church is to proclaim the good news of Jesus, but also to let you know that you live in a world that does not celebrate the good news of Jesus. So sometimes we use hard examples and sometimes we talk about things that aren't very comfortable. But at the end of the day, the price for your sins has been paid and Jesus just simply wants you to accept that gift. So we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to pray, but I'm not going to do all the talking. You're going to have a chance to do some of the talking. It might just be in your head between you and God. But here's what I want you to think about. First of all, do you know where your eternity is going to be spent? Do you know without question this morning, right now in this moment, do you know for certain that you're going to spend your eternity in heaven? Or do you have a little bit of a nagging question or maybe you've never dealt with it and you know that you're not going to heaven? The first thing that you need to deal with this in in this life is where do you want to go when you die? And the choice is completely up to you. If you know that heaven is your eternal home, 
then you've probably already started the process of praying for other people and telling them about Jesus so that they can join you when you're there. And so as we pray, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and I'm just going to get started. And I want you to think about two things. I want you to think about where is your forever home and do you know where you're going? And if not, it's so simple to accept Jesus' free gift. And if you do know, if you do know that heaven is where you're headed, then you've got people that are close to you that maybe you're not so sure where they're going and and they are a burden for you because you want them to know the good news of Jesus the way that you do. And so maybe you can take your time and start praying for them. So if you if you want to say it out loud, if it's your name or someone else's, feel free to do that. But would you bow your heads, please, and let's pray. Gracious God, heaven is a real place. In eternity with you is one of the options that we have to choose that you have given to us because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. We don't have to do anything but accept the free gift that you give us and then give our lives to him and to live as his disciples. Or we can ignore it, or we can pretend it isn't real, or we can run with the crowd that makes fun of the cross of Christ. But we have eternity to face there too, and that eternity is completely without you. A place that we call hell. And God, one of the things that this place exists for is to preach the good news of salvation through Jesus. And so as we take some time, Lord, maybe people need to straighten that business out with you right here, right now. And if that's the case, maybe their name is the one that's a burden to them. Maybe that's the name that they need to say out loud. For others of us, maybe we've got that figured out. There's people that are on our hearts because we're just afraid. We're not judging them, but we're afraid they're not going to be in heaven with you. And so, God, then we want to lift up their names and we want to start praying that whether it's us or someone else that you introduce to them, that they can know who Jesus is. And so, God, we take this time. We lift up the name of people, maybe ourselves, loved ones, people we work with. God, hear our prayer because what we want is to begin a prayer that leads to salvation in Jesus. God, our Creator and Redeemer, you have done for us what we cannot do for ourselves in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. You've given us the free gift of salvation in Him, and all that we need to do is believe, put our hope and our trust in Him. And then we begin the process of working that salvation out and learning to live as a Christian. And then, God, we as a church exist to share that good news with the people around us who maybe are enemies of the cross of Christ, who maybe make fun of who Jesus is or who we are because we believe in him, but that doesn't, that can't, that can't hinder us in our resolve to share the good news with the world around us. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for inviting us in to the work that you do in sharing the good news of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you need to talk to somebody after the service, you want someone to pray with you, they'll be in the corners in the back. Uh, They would love the opportunity to talk about any decision you may have just made or to uh, 
just talk to you about what it is to become a follower of Jesus. Uh, also, on your way out, we're going to give you uh, a bookmark if you want to take one with you. One size, it says, Joy, Jesus, others, and yourself. Your citizenship is in heaven. And it lists three verses, and it says, Are you certain? That really is what should drive us in our conversations as we learn to live for Jesus, is we just help people to come to the, the point where they can make that decision for themselves. And how do you do that? ABC, on the back it says, admit you're a sinner, believe in Jesus and confession. And what does that lead to? That leads to eternal citizenship is in heaven.